freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our show today is we are doing a series called American talking about the can-do spirit that is part of our American DNA. Absolutely. Our lives have been turned completely upside down with this COVID-19, this this coronavirus. And we have been told over and again, all of the places that we can't go and the things that we can't do. But in this series, we're going to talk to some experts in their field and ask them all of the ways that we still can learn and grow, train and connect, and expand our freedoms in ways that maybe we hadn't even thought about before. And our guest today is Connor Boyack. Connor is the founder and president of Libertas Institute, a free market think tank in Utah. Named one of Utah's most politically influential people by the Salt Lake Tribune, Connor's leadership has led to dozens of legislative victories spanning a wide range of areas such as privacy, government transparency, property rights, drug policy, education, personal freedom, and more. A public speaker and author of 21 books, Connor is best known for the Tuttle Twins books, a children's series introducing young readers to economic, political, and civic principles. Welcome to the show, Connor. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I think I said your last name correctly, yes? Yeah, it's, it's Boyak. Boys who yak. <laughs> We yak a lot. I love it. He's written 21 books. 21 books. One for each year he's been alive, apparently. Look how young this guy is. I don't don't think I've read 21 books. (laughs) Wow. It's got to keep you on your toes, right? Well, you got a lot of books behind you, so either uh, you're you're not telling the truth right now or it's all decorations. So, (laughs) Or Cheryl. I'm, I'm a bit of a reader, and... I just have to brag that among those that belong on the shelf behind me, but I pulled off, are all of these. These are your Tuttle Twin books. And I just, I love them. I was thank so you. excited when, yeah, thank you for writing them. I was so excited when I was able to connect with you because I love how you've distilled down uh, works like in this one, it's Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. And you've put it in a story that young children, and adults, kind of like cliff notes, right, Mm -hmm. can uh, understand and use in their own lives, our own lives. So where did the idea come from to to write this series? So as you said in my bio, I run uh, kind of a freedom-fighting organization, Libertas Institute. We say that we change hearts, minds, and laws. And so we do a lot of legal reform, a lot of education, fighting bad laws, trying to create more freedom and so forth. And I'm a father of two children. So several years ago, I found myself wanting to share with my little kids what I did that day because I would ask them, hey, what did you do that day? And I lacked the vocabulary to explain to, you know, an eight-year-old about eminent domain, right, that I was Mm. fighting. Or how do you talk to, you know, your six-year-old about the free market and we're trying to, you know, fix this protectionist law that hurt food trucks and prevented them from just giving people food. And so I went on Amazon. I'm like, hey, there's got to be some, like a book or something. And there was nothing. And I spent a couple of weeks kind of being frustrated, you know, oh man, if only there were something. And then I realized, hey, you dolt, you know, you you preach entrepreneurship all the time. Here's an opportunity. So we started, we did the first book, you know, response was phenomenal. And so to us, that was kind of the market signal to say, hey, there's an interest here kind of in the broader, you know, community. And so let's, uh, let's do more of these. And so we've done 
11 children's books now. We've got books for teens. We've got a free market curriculum for families, a weekly curriculum. We've got a card game, uh, all kinds of stuff. And then we're just having a ball. Nice. Card game, you say? I didn't know about this. Yeah. Yeah. If you go to TuttleTwins.com slash products, you can see everything we've done. And we released the card game, I think, late last year. And uh, it's just kind of a way for people to, re uh, kids and their parents to reinforce the ideas they learned about in the books by creating their own Tuttle Twin stories with all the different kind of cards and there's some fun little prompts and things like that in the game. I am gonna be all over that. And it's so funny because this uh, week we have interviewed our son-in-law who, he's an IT guy, but his little entrepreneur toe in the water is as a, um, like a board game reviewer. And oh, cool. so he's huge into board games. He's always bringing new games for and card, us. And card games. Yes, yeah. and, and card games for mm -hmm. us to play. And so this is going to be such a beautiful tie-in. We're definitely going to cool. look that up. And so when I first uh, discovered you, I think it was, you know, something that came up on my Instagram or whatever, maybe my Facebook, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so brilliant. But my grandchild, my older grandchild is almost six now. She was... Mm -hmm super young. So I can't remember. Are these, how, when did you start this? So the target age range for the books is about five to 11. Now, obviously every child is different. We have some four-year-olds who, you know, read the books. My daughter was three when we started and I'm not going to kid myself that she understood all the concepts, but she was engaged by the pictures enough to listen to the story over and over and over again. And, and now she understands the idea. So five is kind of the sweet spot uh, when the kids can really start to understand and, you know, oddly, we've even had, you pointed out the parents too, who it's kind of cliff notes for. We have plenty of teenagers who, you know, these books are clearly kids books kind of beneath their age, but the ideas that they have are, are fresh and interesting. And so even though our sweet spot is five to 11 years of age, where we comfortably, you know, can relate to the kids in that range, we, we do, um, you know, uh, the books are attractive to and, and informative for kids uh, who are younger and older than that as well. Well, I bought them, I want to say like maybe two years ago and just have had them on the shelf and waiting until I felt like, you know, she would have some idea of what uh, our story time was, the book was about. And so I have through this uh, hashtag quarantine time, quarantine life that we're in, um, started reading those to her. And it's like you said, it's not like she comes away with, you know, like she's going to go write a dissertation about it. She's five, <laughs> but she, we're planting those seeds. We're having the, <clears throat> the age appropriate conversations. Right. Um, and you know, from the earliest age, helping her understand what this is all about and why it's so important to us. So I'm just very excited. And so as I want to add to my set, um, do you sell them individually then? Because I yep. bought these as like a group. Yep. We, uh, so we, when people go to TuttleTwins.com, we, we sell them typically on getting the whole set. We offer the workbooks and, you know, discount and things like that. But then obviously, like in your case where you bought it two years ago, we do an average of about two books a year in the children's series that we continue to put out. And so we have all these families who, you know, bought the set, you know, two years ago, four years ago, last year, but we're always putting out new books. And so TuttleTwins.com slash products is where we have the whole list and where you can find the individual books that have come out since, in your case, a couple of years ago where you bought the books. Um, and we're always trying to just create more content because, you know, <laughs> over the years, it's been interesting as we produce all these we get a lot of just amazingly positive response from parents, but then kind of the, the, the complaint or the criticism is, when's your next one coming out? I, I don't want to wait too long. Like, why, why you know, like, whoa, yes. slow down. Like, you know, this isn't my full-time job. This is kind of a little side hustle here, but, uh, but it's just a ton of fun. It's so rewarding. I mean, literally every day we're getting posts on social media and emails to us and stuff from parents who are just like, holy cow. Like, I got one the other day where... Um, it was a grandma and she's uh, apart from her grandchildren right now during this quarantine life. But what she did is she bought a set of the books for herself and then a set of the books for her grandchildren. And then she reads to them over FaceTime on the iPad and each of them read along with their book. And she's like, they love swimming in the pool. And so when their mom was telling them, Hey, it's, you know, swimming time, 
She's like, I was amazed. They both declined to go swimming because they wanted to keep reading the book and they don't really like to read very much. And so, and, and that is indicative of so many responses we get from parents. I got one from a dad not too long ago where he's like, my daughter will only read Barbie books. I've tried and tried and tried and tried to get her to read other things and she won't, but she loves the Tuttle Twins. <laughs> and so it's, it's very odd because like we, we've struck a chord or there's some kind of winning formula here, which, you know, it's not like I, we're just making the books and apparently they're being well received and that's great. But it's just so motivating for us to see the positive response, not just like, hey, there's books they like reading. It's not just, you know, uh, reading random books. It's the, the conversations that are happening between parents and their children, not only when they're reading the books together, but we'll get these stories from time to time where a uh, recent one was, a parent was like, we were walking through the grocery store and I asked my daughter why there were so many kinds of potato chips. And the daughter was like, oh, it's division of labor. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like, my seven-year-old's an economist now, you know? <laughs> like, that is... Because some, some people like ridges and some people like baked and some people like fried. And anyways, it, it's, it's great to give kids and their parents this foundation where later in life, a month later, a year later, they're going to have these kind of concepts around in their head. They're going to, because our brains really receive information well through storytelling and we're using stories here, it kind of sits in their brain a little bit more. They can recall it. They can apply it. Um, that, that's something that a lot of parents, I think, are excited about because this is very useful information for the world that we live in. It so is. And um, I, I asked you how to pronounce your name and then I uh, I did it right, but then the name of your organization, you pronounced it different than I did. Will you say that for me again? So we say, yeah, we say Libertas Institute. Libertas is the Roman goddess of liberty. So the Statue of Liberty, her name is actually Libertas, but it's a dead language, you know, Latin. And so most people say Libertas and we say Libertas and it's tomato, tomato, whatever you want to do. Gotcha. Not to take away from the book, but so you explained how the book, uh, you know, how you, the book came because of the kids. But how did you get involved in Libertas? Libertas. Yeah. Yes. How did Emphasis you get involved on in the bear. Libertas. Yeah. <laughs> you have like the Italian hand motion. It's Libertas. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I got involved, oh, let's see, 20, I want to say it was about 2005. And I was actually invited to watch this documentary that had just come out uh, at the local library. I think my uncle invited me and it was called America Freedom to Fascism. And I wasn't super political. I was, you know, I'd pay attention to current events or whatever, but I wasn't very political. And uh, this documentary had just come out and it was uh, the gentleman, the, the guy who produced it, he has since deceased. His name's Aaron Rousseau. And uh, it was his attempt to say, here are the ideals upon which America was founded, why it was so revolutionary, why it was such a, you know, leap ahead for personal freedom and, and uh, you know, free markets and prosperity and so forth. And then look how we've declined. And so it was his attempt to show the contrast of like, here's where we were, here's where we're, and in some ways we've gotten better, clearly. Um, but in terms of like founding ideals and protections and freedoms and so forth, there's been a lot of decline and a lot of, uh, you know, growth of government and taxes and so forth. So I watched that documentary and I was like, wow, that, you know, that made a lot of sense. And uh, there was a gentleman in particular in that documentary who I thought made a whole lot of sense. I'd never heard of him before. And a little subtitle on the bottom of the, the screen said, Congressman Ron Paul. And, uh, and so I'm like, huh, this guy. So, you know, I, I looked him up. I watched some YouTube videos of his speeches in Congress. And uh, he had like a recommended uh, list of books, you know, about like free market economics and freedom and so forth. And so I started reading a lot of these books. And that just sent me down the rabbit hole. I started working on political campaigns. Uh, um, I started... Uh, doing a blog where I would kind of share what I learned, which led into writing books, which led into, you know, me seeing like, I enjoy this stuff a lot. How can I make a career out of it so that it's not just, you know, another side hustle that my wife gets frustrated that I have too many side hustles, you know, <laughs> that aren't paying the bills. I, so, I wouldn't know anything about that what? being married to a serial entrepreneur. So, Yeah. <laughs> So, so we found a way. I started the nonprofit. I was able to quit my, my job. I was a web developer uh, back in the day and I quit my job and jumped into this full time and haven't looked back since. So it's, it's, uh, I credit a lot of my own kind of intellectual development and, and political engagement to Ron Paul. 
he was mm-hmm. kind of a, a foot in the door for me and, and, you know, progressed a whole lot since then. But that's kind of how I got started roughly about 15 years ago. You know, and you said you work with uh, helping with the regulations of food trucks and stuff like that. And, you know, in the whole well, the world, story, there's a story right, about that. Right. Yeah. But the whole world, the, um, uh, we, it's a small thing in compared to what's going on around the world, but yet it's, it's a big thing because like in Utah, I imagine, you know, I would think that Utah was a pretty free state, but it's not, is it? They're, they're chipping you from the small things up, right? It's interesting, even in, in states that are, you know, quote unquote, red states or Republican states, where you still have crazy amounts of regulation. And, and, and a lot of these are not like some tyrant came through and said, we're going to, you know, stop food trucks from selling. What it is, is some city council, you know, 30 years ago, passed some broadly worded law that's like, oh, well, you know, for food, you need to have, a, you know, restrooms and you need to have this, that and the other. And they wrote it in a way where they couldn't contemplate the future. They didn't know food trucks would really become kind of an industry all, all on their own and popular. But the law was worded in such a way that when food trucks come on the scene, all of a sudden the city's like, oh, well, we have to enforce the law. And so you can't do this. And then, of course, it's hard to change the law because the mayor is friends with, you know, the local uh, brick and mortar restaurant, you know, owner. And, and he likes the fact that the law prevents his competitors from doing business and mm-hmm. so uh he donates to the mayor and you know support like says let's keep the law in place so stuff like that it, it's in my experience it's less malicious you know people trying to pass bad laws a lot of it is just unintentional it's old law that couldn't contemplate new business models um you clearly have cases where people just you know like with guns right They're like no i just don't think anyone should have an ar-15 and so blah 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 but in a lot of cases, I think the growth of government is kind of um, inadvertent and uh, just, you know, poorly written laws that then bureaucrats get to broadly apply to people and cause them problems. So, yeah, even in a state like Utah that a lot of people, I'm, I'm from California originally, and, uh, you know, clearly I think it was an upgrade there in terms of <laughs> me having uh, fewer taxes and more freedom. But, yeah. but it's all relative. I tell people like, you know, we're all, it's like being graded on a curve, right? So maybe a state like Utah or Texas or Arizona or something is going to be getting grade A, but that doesn't mean we have a ton of freedom. It doesn't mean life is great and government is small and, and so forth. It just means that we suck less than everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. Right. We're being graded on a curve and, and we're better than others, but that, you know, a lot of politicians will be like, oh, we got the top ranking in this index or blah, 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 right? We're so great. And I'm like, okay, well, pat yourselves on the back a little, but there's clearly more opportunity to, to improve. And so that's kind of what our work is in a state like this is saying like, guys, yeah, we're better than others, but man, we still have a long ways to go. Right. Even in Arizona here, we have a lot of, you know, great people and great congressmen and whatever, but we still have some pockets of problems where they want more control, more control. And, and that, for some reason, that bleeds out. It, it doesn't go the other way. It seems it always goes to more regulations, more restrictions. And I, I don't understand why that is. It, it, I guess it's just easier to sit back and do nothing. Yeah, I think it is, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know how to get involved and what to do about it. So I think there is a lot of, um, you know, apathy in the sense that like maybe if people were pointed in the right direction, then they would be able to accomplish more. But uh, without that, then they kind of struggle to know what to do. And that's what we come to these books for, that they give you a point of view and a point to go to, right? And start with with, uh, young people which this is a great segue to my next question is that these days it does seem like young adults are far too eager to push freedom away, which seems bizarre to me because, you know, the minute that I started to smell freedom that I was going to turn 18 and I was going to be an adult and start, (laughs) then she got married. Then I got married. That's true. Uh, (laughs) We've been, we've, yeah, we've been married uh, 30, Five years this year. We quit counting at 35. It's true. Um, but uh, the idea of continuing to ask permission from an authority figure once I left home to me was head spinning. So why do you think that young adults in this particular generation, and it's the, the millennials and, and a little bit younger, 
why do you think they're struggling to embrace freedom? Oh, I, I think the answer is very easy, but it's a very unpopular answer among most people, and that is the public school system. Mm. Um, I believe very strongly that, you know, and, and I don't even like calling it public schools. They're government schools. The curriculum mm. is decided by government. They're controlled by government. They're mandated by government. They're funded by government. These are, these are government schools. Is the government school really going to teach people about the problems with government? Uh, are government schools really going to help kids understand why government is dangerous and where it has exceeded its bounds? Especially when you go back through history and you look at the architects of the modern government education system, uh, the John Deweys and Goodlads and others. These were secular humanist progressives who very much saw um, individuals as being uh, needed to be subordinated to the whole, the collective, they're collectivists. They felt that individuals should be basically conformed to the ideals that they felt people should uh, kind of turn out to be rather than this idea of like, you know, decentralized, everyone's different and diverse and we all kind of have our own path. They very much wanted everyone on this singular path of conformity, which is the system that we have now. And so if you go pull out a social studies textbook, if you go look at the material being taught to these kids, uh, it, is, it is stripped of any question of government abuse and overreaching authority. And, uh, and so these kids go through the school system and come out the other end and have been taught, you know, they've been pledging allegiance faithfully every day. And they've been taught that, you know, our government has done all these wonderful things. And if they've even been taught anything about government at all. Um, and so I think that leads to an outcome where you have a citizenry, uh, a, a, a group of voters who are completely ignorant to uh, history. They're ignorant to uh, problems with government and how to counteract them and what the solutions are. And so if our school system, if the government school system has failed, or you might say if it's succeeded based on the ideals of its architects, but from my vantage point, if it has failed to educate the rising generation about a lot of these ideas of freedom and the philosophy of liberty and free markets and so on and so forth, then, then what? And, and to me, the answer is, well, parents have to step in and do what is naturally their own responsibility. It is parents' duty to make sure that their children are learning these things. And for many parents, it's very daunting. And I'm not saying everyone has to homeschool. That's not what I'm preaching here. But what I am saying is that if your children are in the government school system, recognize, you know, for example, let's say you're Christian and you send uh, you know, let's say you're a Christian during the time of Christ and your kids are going to Caesar's schools. Do you really question whether your child is going to end up being a, a, you know, blind, obedient subject of Rome? Uh, or, you know, like, so, so are we turning our children and their, their most formative years or intellectual development over to those who maybe have different interests than we do and different philosophies and different ideas? And uh, so I think parents need to step up and say, well, even if my kids are going to be in, in the government schools, I need to make sure that they're understanding good history. I need to make sure they understand about free markets and personal freedom and individual rights and true history and so forth. So that's why I get excited about the Total Twins books, because it becomes kind of a supplement that parents can use to say, like, I don't know what my kid is learning in school. I'm kind of worried about it. Like, at least I can control what they learn at home. And so I can use books like the Tuttle Twins to help and make sure they're being exposed to good information, knowing that the schools, the textbooks, the teachers likely are not only probably not teaching that material, but if they are teaching something like that, they're probably teaching the opposite. They're teaching central planning and they're teaching, you know, uh, Keynesian economics and the government can do no wrong and messages that I think have contributed to the broader problems that we have in our society today. Well, I, I, it's a new look on schools because I always wondered what, why aren't they teaching history? Why aren't they teaching how to write a check and teaching you how to, they want you to be dependent on them and they don't want you to, to, to learn how to grow and be independent. They want you to learn to be a subject function in the real world. Right. That's, that's a new, that's, that's interesting. So that is, that is very interesting. And so then I was like, I agree with what you're saying. And I'm also seeing, so not only are they getting the message, young children, young people, myself included, I graduated high school in 84. And so I think that might've been really 
sort of the the beginning of this what I think is really a politicalization. Maybe it was political before, but it it definitely I could see it while my daughter was in school. Um, her senior year was the uh, election year between um, Obama and McCain, McCain. Mm-hmm. and um, you know she's conservative, and so McCain's what we had. <laughs> God bless him. And um, so, you know, she would try to speak from where our family came from. And she was like this lone voice of this sea of high schoolers that, you know, were thinking, how, how is there so much, you know, group think going on here? And then knowing that Obama was elected and how it became such a part of the national conversation that somehow America is like, you know, we're pledging allegiance and America's great, but at the same time, America's garbage somehow because, you know, we've only done evil, wrong things as a nation. It's this really weird mixed bag that, that kids are being given. And then that makes me feel like, so are they just trying to make them go, I just won't have an opinion because mm-hmm. I don't want to be wrong. I mean, what, that yeah, I wasn't even planning to talk about that. So I've got to throwing that at you sideways. Well, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's an interesting predicament. I think about it maybe on the other side, those of us who value freedom, think about what it's going to be like to celebrate Independence Day this year, mm-hmm. right? Like what, what is the 4th of July in 2020 going to look like? How do we really celebrate freedom at a time when we basically yeah. don't have any right now? I mean, that's being obviously, uh, you know, painting with a broad brush, but man, the government is exercising di- literally dictatorial powers that in America have never really been utilized. And you're having people arrested for playing at the beach all by themselves with no one around. You're having, you know, skate parks filled with sand and kids arrested. You're having cops show up at a little kid's birthday party uh, where the cops aren't wearing masks or gloves, but they're separating everyone and shutting it down because those people weren't wearing masks and gloves. You're having people trying to go to worship at church and being told they can't and being ticketed and put into government databases. You're having you can go to Walmart. Owners. Yeah, you can go to Walmart. You can't go to church. <laughs> You're having business owners who are like, you know what? To heck with you. I'm, I'm going to open my business. And then in one state, I saw a video where literally a SWAT team showed up with guns drawn to get the business to shut down. So it, to me, it's like, yeah, America is great in a lot of ways, but it's got a lot of problems. And uh, those of us who value freedom, I think, need to have open eyes about what those problems are and be at least speaking out, you know, talking to other people in our social circles or social media and generating conversation, if not organizing and trying to figure out how to apply pressure and how to affect change. Because what's the point of celebrating Independence Day when we have a society that is almost wholly dependent on government. You have churches and newspapers and businesses sucking at the teat of the federal government right now with these paycheck protection, you know, free money. And you have everyone getting $1,200. And we have conversations now about universal basic income. And let's just give all Americans money all the time. And do we have independence? Like, like what are we celebrating this year? To me, it's a very interesting conundrum that we're in to say, what is the fate or the state of freedom in 2020? And, and what are we celebrating? Is it kind of a memorial to the liberty that once existed? And, oh, that was so nice when we had it. Or is there something to celebrate now? It's so great. Let's celebrate it. But I think we need to be really realistic about the state of our society and what our freedoms actually look like right now. And then hopefully get to work trying to do something about it. But we are seeing a lot of people that are realizing that they have no freedoms anymore. And they're starting to do things. And that's, that should help, especially come time for voting season. Well, I, I hope so. I hope it gets people more engaged and causes them to question and, and to want to learn more. And again, I mean, these books are so beautiful because, yeah, we're, we're teaching our children, wink, but mm-hmm. we're also learning a lot ourselves, wink. So, you know, and they're very bite-sized, you know, they're, they're not you know, like trying to read the, the actual uh, Atlas Shrugged, Anne Rand's Atlas Shrugged, which is, you know, quite lengthy. Uh, mm-hmm. There's this nice little miniature version 
And ours doesn't have all the uh, the sex and the objectivism. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. Anyone who didn't like that, which is a lot of people, we stripped all that from our book. <laughs> For sure. Um, but, you know, it's so interesting um, where a conversation ended up going because every single one of our shows, we start with uh, a speech. It happened to be um, President Ronald Reagan, but he it's that speech where he says that, you know, freedom's not in our DNA. And if we don't pass it along to ne the next generation, there's going to be a time when, you know, our, our children and our children ch children's children look to us and go, tell us about the time when men were free. Tell mm -hmm. us about that. That, that seemed like a pretty cool time and what happened and why, why are we not living that anymore? Um, and I think the education is really, it's everything. And I agree with you uh, that, you know, some of us don't have the, I don't know, liberty or the, what, whatever it is. We haven't organized our lives in such a way that homeschooling naturally fits with us economically or however it might be. I find myself homeschooling a five-year-old right now, and it is not my natural gift, let me mm -hmm. just say this, but it's an amazing time. And I'm seeing her start to be able to read the, you know, run dog run type books. And what an amazing feeling that is, that I was directly a part of that, that if we hadn't been in this season, I wouldn't have. So um, take this time and do something new and, and start to learn. But now I'm going to really put you on the spot. Do you have a favorite? Which one's your favorite? <laughs> I, I probably most like uh, The Road to Serfdom, The Tuttle Twins and The Road to Serfdom. Okay. And uh, this one is based off of a book called The Road to Serfdom by uh, F.A. Hayek, a Nobel uh, laureate, a free market economist. And it, it's interesting because I think the book has so many aspects that are relevant to our day like the book really talks about individualism versus collectivism and central planning versus people planning for themselves there's even we, we sent an email about this to our customers a, a week or two ago but there's even a page talking about yeah so there's the drawing about individualism and collectivism there's even a page where we talk about a shortage of toilet paper keep in mind this was written you know a couple years ago three years ago and in the book, it's talking about how central planning can be problematic when the government tries to do all these things. It leads to shortages. And can you imagine not having toilet paper? Oh, my gosh, that would be crazy. And yet here we are right now when there's been a run on toilet paper and people hoarding uh, TP at home. So I, I like that one because I think it has a message that's so relevant to what we're dealing with right now. And frankly, what we often... And, and regularly deal with it. It has a description about government versus individuals that applies, I think, throughout the ages. And so it's one that I, I've been kind of thinking back on in light of what we've been dealing with right now. And uh, it was just a fun book, book to, to work on that one in particular. Oh, look, there was a time when people were allowed to be on the, the beach. Yeah. Look at that. There's no police officer there shutting them down. <laughs> Imagine. Oh my no, goodness. No, the guy on the beach yeah. is a criminal they released from jail. So he's allowed on the beach. <laughs> yes. So that yeah. they could put the guy that had the restaurant in jail. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, as long um, as they don't start uh, worshiping uh, Jesus along the way, they'll be fine. You know? Oh, yeah. gas. No religious gas. services. Well, we are. Let me clutch my pearls. We are being allowed. Jesus. We are being allowed to open up uh, partially what uh, next this Friday, right? Yeah, allowed. Allowed. I'm, we're allowed. That. And I love that word. It's like, this is exciting. We get to do something. You know, I think the government, any government that's taken over their people has done it by fear. Yes. And they're putting fear in us right now. Yeah. There's people that I've talked to that tremble when they talk about the, the coronavirus. Right. That they think that if, if they breathe air, they're going to die. It's so sad. Mm -hmm. So they watch too much. Fear news yes right i'm i'm air quoting for the people that are right. that this as audio only so my favorite which it's hard to have a favorite but my favorite is the creature from jekyll island and mm. i will tell you why because one of my relatives my sister-in-law has been telling me cajoling me uh you know guilting me into reading the book that this was created from the creature from jekyll island by g edward griffin for holy cow i can't even tell you how many years now and uh so finally i was like "Ooh, here we go <laughs> i can read <laughs> I can read. version yes. 
Um, and so, of course, this is uh, uh, the central banking, right? The Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. Yep, and all so- about inflation and, and banks and money. What is sound money? And uh, what do central banks do that's so problematic? So, yeah, that's definitely relevant. And I, I love that it is a... Uh, well, I haven't read the book, but don't they just print more money? Yeah. They, they print and print and print. That's exactly right. Again, very relevant to what we're dealing with today, for sure. Yeah, a big octopus is kind of the, the, uh, the way that you've portrayed the creature in that book. And um, this one, the law, uh, the fact that it is, and I, again, I'm going to mess this word up, but uh, it's based on a book called The Law by Frederick Bastiat. Yeah, he was a French economist. So if you're good at pronouncing French, I think it would be like Bastier or Bastiat or something like that. (laughs) And so at the back, not only do you tell us a little bit about the original author um, and pique our interest, but also in this one, you show us that you have his book for sale at your website. And uh, I beat a path to get that purchased. So, uh, you know, it takes you to the next step. These books kind of take you to the next step and and pique your interest to want to know more and i i think that is the the perfect kind of book um to to lay out there that's definitely the goal right we want to introduce our readers to these ideas and for those who want to learn more we want to send them in that direction we want to say here's the next step here's a book to read uh, to keep learning you know along your path kind of here's some of the additional resources and so that's very much kind of our interest is to kind of whet their appetite and then for those interested we could say Here's where you can keep keep learning. And then you have written, as we said, 21 books. And so some of them are for, you know, adults. <laughs> They're not all, you know, for the, the teenagers or the, the uh, 5 to 11 group. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I beat a path. And this one is hopefully in the mail to me as we speak, because I was <laughs> on your website uh, the other day. Uh, it's called Feardom, Feardom. How politicians exploit your emotions to what Danny was saying and what you can do to stop them. That Tell won't be relevant at all to what's happening right no. now. No, <laughs> it's just so outdated. It's, it's a I shame. Wrote that, <laughs> I wrote that one. I want to say it was uh, maybe five years ago, four or five years ago. And when I finished that book, I, I was reading it kind of a final time and I had the thought occur to me that this is a book that will never be irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and that saddened me, Frank, like from a, from a marketing standpoint, it's like, oh, there's always going to be a, a hook <laughs> to kind of talk about the book. Here we are years later, t- you know, people are buying the book and we're talking about the book. But so from a marketing standpoint, it's great from a, someone who values freedom and, and wants a, you know, safe and healthy society. It saddened me because, because routinely governments will exploit our fear in order to consolidate power. It, the historical record is absolutely clear. And in some cases, politicians will manufacture a crisis. In other words, they'll create one out of whole cloth. But in mm-hmm. most cases, they leverage an existing one or they will hype it, right? Coronavirus, clearly a problem. But it's been overhyped to the degree that the government has been able to exercise all these dictatorial powers and do what they want and control people and set a precedent that for the next crisis, They'll be able to say, oh, well, we did it before. Or, oh, like it wasn't that bad when we did it before. We got through it. So here we're going to do the same thing again or a little bit more aggressive. That's yes. how governments grow is incrementally. Very rarely is it this brazen, you know, night and day contrast where you can be like, whoa, you know, it's, it's very much the frog boiling in water kind of metaphor where bit by bit by bit. And so when we are scared, we naturally seek support from someone who has more information than we do and who has a proposed way to make us feel safe. And so if you are a politician, if you're in the media, if you're a you know, wannabe dictator, you naturally portray yourself as a decision maker, as an information gatherer, as someone who's in a position to know what should be done and then tell others. And because we lack information, because we don't know what's true or not, we, we as a people naturally defer to the media, naturally defer to the government, say tell us what to do and we will comply like good sheep and yes. that is how we are led along to our slaughter um you know uh because we don't know any better and because so few of us really put in the effort and the energy to seek truth and to try and seek alternative voices and really understand what's happening 
politicians have long seen that when there's something bad happening, something scary, oh, there's terrorists, they're gonna, you know, maybe fly another plane at some point in the future. Therefore, we're going to molest, you know, millions of people every year just because you want to feel safe. Um, we, we, we trade our security, our li- or excuse me, we trade our liberty for security. And I think the end result is that we are neither secure nor free. Absolutely. Didn't we kind of, isn't Sadly. that kind of happening in New York right now? Is there a guy that goes on TV every day and talks for about an hour or two about all this Corona stuff right now? It's that kind of like fear and I've got control of things and I know the best thing to do and how to serve. How for you to yeah, I might have, I might have seen a couple of his uh, <clears throat> yeah. news conferences. Uh, let's talk about your uh, another one of your books, Lessons from a Lemonade Stand. Uh, very interesting title. Talk to us about that one, and we'll start wrapping up and let you get on out of here. So um, we've seen the stories across the country in years past about little kids' lemonade stands getting shut down. They every time one of these headlines pop up, we're all outraged because how crazy is it that this staple of summertime in america uh is illegal and and it routinely is uh, shut down we've got a number of stories you you google uh, if you were to google you know lemonade stand shut down you'd be appalled at the number of stories countrywide of some police officer or county health department bureaucrat or whatever going up to little kids and saying oh you don't have a food handler's permit you don't have a business license and they're selling like 50 cent cups of lemonade and they're, ex- they're expected to pay an $80 fee for a permission slip. Uh, it's nuts. And so um, Lessons from a Lemonade Stand is a book that uses that encounter, that issue, as an example through which to analyze what is wrong about that. And by analyzing what is wrong, we unpack it and talk about, well, what are, what are rights? What should we be able to do without a permission slip? Why does the government want to require a permission slip? When have we ever said that those permission slips are okay? What does it mean to be cons- to consent? When, it, when governments operate with the consent of the governed, what does consent actually look like? Do we have consent today? Or just by virtue of the fact that we were born here and live here, does that mean that we've actually consented to the government uh, that we live under? And if we've consented, you cannot meaningfully give consent without the opportunity to dissent and say mm. no. And so what does mm. dissent look like in our society? Is the government okay with dissent? Um, and, and how does someone meaningfully assert their rights? Uh, you know, think of it in, in kind of a, uh, intimacy between a couple, right? There's consent there between uh, two consenting adults, but one of them can dissent and say, no, I refuse. And when that, that relationship continues under a dissenting, you know, that's, that's a molestation, it's rape, it's abuse or whatever. And so that to me is the analogy for a government where we have to consent for these things to be meaningfully and properly done. But when we dissent and the government is still doing it, that's tyranny. Mm-hmm. And so what does dissent actually look like? So we use the lemonade stand as, as kind of the lens through which to look at all these different ideas and really boil down what is government? What are our rights? How do we assert them? And what is the proper relationship that we should have between government and individuals? Um, And so Lemonade Sand kind of introduces the concept that the book was written more for teens, but just like the Tuttle Twins books, when you write it at kind of a little simpler level, it just makes it that much more appealing to adults who don't have to read some thick academic, you know, type book. Um, And so that was a really fun one to read or to write, excuse me. Uh, it's been out for a few years and done really well because like the Tuttle Twins, I think families are always trying to look at like, how do I teach my kids about this kind of stuff? Yes. And, and so that one resonates really well with kind of the teenager uh, level of, of reader. Well, when I was a kid, way back then, we had lemonade stands. The police would come and buy from the lemonade stands <laughs> to help support. And, you know, I, I think that lemonade stands is a great example of people who want to become you know, a business people. Mm-hmm because it gives them a chance to see how they can make yep. some money and move on. And I'm, I sold jewelry at school when I was six and seven years old, you know, and Oh God, I didn't have a permit. Yeah. I didn't collect sales tax. You rebel. Oh, I know. I know. And that's the other <laughs> thing, you know, uh, to get a, to, to sell in, in our state, you have to have a sales tax license by getting a sales tax license. We have to collect the sales tax. Mm-hmm. We're working for the government 
to collect the sales tax and then be audited to make sure that we're doing it properly. And that's a cons we consent to that when we, when we sign this agreement to get a sales tax license mm -hmm. and it's, it's not right, but what do you do when that's, you can't, I mean, there's no and is it real consent? Because you're being told that you're not allowed to sell things and engage in commerce unless right. you sign on the dotted line. It's kind of extortion, right? Yes. It's, 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 I mean, forgive the example, but it's a gun to your head saying sign yes. or else. Yes. And you can't really consent under that type of duress. Yes. And yes. so again, these are the intoxicating questions to be like, okay, well, if the declaration of independence says that, you know, the just powers of government are derived from the consent of the governed. Do, does our government really have consent? And, and, and that's a very dangerous question, perhaps. Yes. I, I love it. Dangerous freedom. Um, well, we, all, we will start wrapping up. Um, but thinking about all of this reminds me of something I read a long time ago and might have even been in my, my studies of psychology because uh, that's what my degrees are in. But what I was told was that when people who, who look for counterfeit money, the FBI, they don't study all the different ways that people have counterfeited. They study what the actual, original, genuine article should look like. And they have that completely imprint, imprinted on their mind so that when they see what isn't genuine, it jumps out at them. And I think that what we're talking about here today and what your books offer is that uh, that opportunity to study the genuine article, the original, uh, what is freedom? So then when we see the lack of freedom or something that's infringing on freedom, it jumps out at us and maybe we have a little better opportunity to react in ways that will resist that. What do you think of that idea? I like that example a lot. I, I think that contrast is important. You You cannot defend rights that you don't know exist. If you don't know what your rights look like, how do you defend against an attempt to encroach upon them? If, if you and I are neighbors and you begin to inch onto, you know, my front yard bit by bit, and you're moving your lawn furniture and you're this, that, and the other. And, but if I don't know where the property line is, where the boundary is, how do I know when to say, stop, go no further? If, if we don't understand our rights, then we are forever on defense. And frankly, we don't even know that a game is being played and they just run into our end zone time and again, steal the ball, capture the flag or whatever. So <laughs> love it. that's why I think education is critical because mm -hmm. we have to understand what our rights are. We have to understand the proper role of government because only then by understanding those truths, as you point out, will we understand the counterfeits, the violations, the problems, whatever they look like, however they manifest, even in you know, a Republican state or a Democrat state, even from a conservative governor or politician, we have to be able to see, well, oh, wait a minute, that, that appears to be an infringement of my rights. And so that's a problem, even though you're a great guy and I like you or whatever, but, but what you're doing is a problem. We have to be able to recognize that. So I really like your example that by, by recognizing the truth, we can see what the falsehoods are more easily. I love it. Well, thank you for weighing in on that. So tell folks, how do they uh, buy these amazing books? How do they follow the work that you do at Libertas uh, <laughs> uh, Institute um, and all the work that you're doing there in Utah? So for the books, uh, you can go to TuttleTwins.com. That's T-U-T-T-L-E, TuttleTwins.com. You'll find out all about the books there, get a discount, get the free workbooks and everything. Uh, now, if you're interested in, the, in our kind of legal work in Libertas Institute, what I would actually suggest is finding the group that's in your community. We work in Utah. Most of your listeners probably aren't here then. So if you go to spn.org, that stands for State Policy Network, spn.org. You go to the directory, you'll click on your state, and you'll see who are the groups working in my state, working on, you know, free market, libertarian, conservative type issues. Go look them up see what events you know they're doing, subscribe to their email list, follow them on social media, pay attention to what they're doing and see how you can help in your community uh, you know, work uh, for more freedom. So I would encourage everyone to go look up the groups working in their state and figure out how to follow and support them. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about me, just Google Connor Boyack, you'll find all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, the fun. 
really appreciate you coming on here. And, and again, just uh, for the books, it's just at TuttleTwins.com is the easiest place to go. Well, Connor, when you get done with Utah and getting it straight, why don't you come down to Arizona <laughs> and help us out a little bit? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. We really appreciate all that you do. Connor Boyack of Libertas Institute and the Tuttle Twins books. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Wow. The, the most I got out of, the, out of this is the, is the way the schools are um, teaching the kids. And, you know, we feel it. Oh, yeah. We we've always it. wondered, why didn't they talk about the history? Yeah, but we're like, how, we don't know what to do about it. But this opportunity to start teaching our kids from home, even though it is hard. It's hard. Okay. I understand it's hard. I mean, uh, but it's a great opportunity to start instilling your own family values. Um, into your children. But they're government-run schools. Mm -hmm. They're controlling what the teachers say, mm -hmm. and the teachers are government-paid. Mm -hmm. So now I understand why. Well, and, and each generation of, of students that have graduated from high school and then graduated from college, you know, it just starts taking care of itself. It's not like somebody has to force them to say what they've right. been taught to believe. It, they just naturally continue to say what they've been taught to believe, but we really have to run. We have to wrap up and run. Um, what a, I, what a fun show. Yeah. I was so looking forward to this because I love the idea of these books. I've read every one of them. Can't wait to get the next batch of Tuttle Twins books, read them to our granddaughter, learn myself a lot of stuff. Um, and get his, uh, get Connor Boyack's other books. But thank you so much to Connor for taking the time. He's a busy, busy dude. Came on here, spent a lot of time with us. Thank you so much to our listeners because that's where the rubber hits the road with all of this. Uh, we enjoy these conversations, but they, you know, when they have legs to move forward because the listeners, you wonderful people listening and watching, either listening on gunfreedomradio.com or watching on YouTube or, or Gunstreamer, when you take these ideas into your own families, into your spheres of influence and talk about them and hash them through and turn them over and work the puzzle of them into your own lives, now we have something. Now we are we are passing that torch of freedom forward and, and we couldn't do that without you. So thank you so much. And until next time, pray for our nation, pray for our leaders in whatever capacity they are operating. All of them? All of them, Dan. Even the ones you don't like, especially the ones you don't like. Be good to each other. Are you going to? Well, I just wanted to say all that I don't, it's not that I don't like them. I just, I don't want there to be leaders that are trying to take our rights away from us. That's true. I think there always will be, though. So if we pray for them, maybe they'll... Uh, pray for them to what? They'll have a change of what are we mind, pray? a change of heart. That they'll read the Tuttle Twins books and they'll go, holy, holy cow, I have been on the wrong side of this whole freedom equation. And I'm going to straighten read the, up. If they read the Tuttle Twin books, then they'll outlaw the book. Not if the rest of us have something to say about That's it. That's right. So, all right. Have a great week. Be good to each other and God bless. <laughs>